0: Well, uh, today I want to uh, share with you a message that you'll see uh entitled All Good. And uh, if you have sermon notes, we do a lot of sermon notes at at Bridgeway. Um, You can hold those. You're only going to have one fill in the blank. So if you don't have a pen, it'll be easy to remember uh, and you can do it at home. But I do that often so that people can follow along with verses in case you might not have a Bible or you might not have it on your phone. Um, But the all good is uh, uh, an interesting phrase. We have a culture that uses good for a lot of things. How are you doing? I'm good. If you have um, if you have teenagers, and I've got uh, a 21 year old, two 19 year olds, and a 17 year old, or I should say, my wife and I do, and um, and we will ask them things, and we'll get that. I'm good. All good. And I was thinking about all good. Uh, are we all good when God is all good? And uh, to kind of get into this, today, if you'll allow me, we're going to do just a bit of a Bible study. And uh, then we're going to go from the Bible study and make a couple of applications. And I want you to know before we start reading anything, um, this is not a message to you. This is a message for you. This is something that the Lord is massaging in me and uh, so I'll play some of that out to you. And so this is a message for us today, okay? So we're going to be looking in uh, Psalm 73, and I will go ahead and put three cards on the table. You're going to see a guy that knows the Lord, who struggles, but prevails. Who knows the Lord, who struggles, but prevails. And if you ever have that kind of dichotomy where you're like, I know the Lord and I shouldn't struggle, you might identify with this guy because he does struggle, but he ultimately has the confidence that he is going to prevail. And so we're going to walk through this psalm, and uh, as I said, we'll make some applications, and I think they'll be applicable to us individually as well as to the church. So starting in Psalm 73, verse 1, it says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now let's stop there, because that is a factual statement. God is good to Israel. Um, He's able to write that because there is historical evidence, and there's also individual evidence of that. He's able to write that because it is true of God. There's historical facts. They can look through Abraham and how God had blessed them and how God had been faithful to Abraham and making a nation and providing and directing even when all things should have been quite difficult. They can look through their history historically and they can look at Moses and how God blessed Moses and led them out of Egypt and how they had uh, manna in the morning, how they had provision of quail, how they had uh, God leading by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. They can look at how God provided for them. Uh, They can look back at the wilderness. There's a passage that says that they did not get sick and their shoes did not wear out. Imagine that if you have young kids never having to buy shoes again. That would be amazing. Um, You have the faithfulness of God in His provision. And they can look back on David and how God provided them in a kingdom. They had gone from nobody, so to say, to now we are a feared kingdom. We have an army. We have lots of things to revere. God is good to Israel. I don't know what the question marks would be for them individually, but this writer probably could have filled in the blank about God's goodness individually, just like you could. Now don't miss this, because you can say that God is good historically. He's been good to the church. He's been good to people. He's been good to one another, and you can also frame it individually. He helped me get a job, or he took care of my kids, or he took care of my sound mind. He blessed me. I'm a blessed person. He's been good to me. So that's really important as you go to verse 2. Because here's what we're going to see in verse 2. In verse 2, you're going to see that you can make things that are true, statements about what is true, but not feel it. Because here's what is said in verse 2. It says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped I had nearly lost my foothold. He says, it's true that God is good, but right now I'm in a place that I don't know that I feel it. See, you can make testimony about who God is and not be seeing it in your life. You can say some things about what is true about God and question it at times. You can say, God is good, but why am I struggling? You can say, God is my provision, why do I have lack? God is my healer, but why did we get this diagnosis? God is good, but why is it that I'm discouraged? You have a guy that is very honest, very vulnerable, and he's saying, I almost gave up. He says, my feet had almost slipped. I'd almost quit. And no show of hands here, but has there ever been a point that in your faith you got rocked or you got challenged or things were difficult and you're like, God, why am I doing this? And you thought, maybe I back off. Maybe I put my cards in. Maybe, I, maybe I'm done. I've watched people in marriages who say that God is the restorer And I'm not seeing it in my marriage and I don't know if I'm done. Watch people, parents who trust God and their kids become wayward for a time and they don't feel certain things. You're like, Lord, I'm at the point that I'm quitting. That's where this guy is. and He's very honest about it. And he's going to show in verse 3 why he was at this point. He says in verse 3, It says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They had no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. It's interesting that he wrongly defines them, and you'll see that later, but he wrongly defines them and he wrongly defines himself. I don't know if this identifies with you, but if you ever find yourself in a time of weakened condition where you're struggling, you will wrongly define yourself and you'll wrongly define everybody else. They have it so much better. I bet they never fight. I bet their kids are always doing fantastic. I bet their ministries are always thriving. I bet they always hear from the Lord. I bet they always have confidence with the Lord. And you can wrongly define what you're watching. He does so. And he's like, they're not even plagued by what all of us are plagued by. And it's not that you want somebody else to suffer. It's just that you don't want to suffer. And so you watch somebody and you're like... Lord? Why? I'm trying to make sense of this. Remember, he's incredibly vulnerable. He knows the Lord and he's struggling because of some of the things that he is watching. What is so easy for them? Um, This could be pushed into a number of areas. Family life, Uh, It could be pushed into faith. Have you ever been in a church service where uh, you're struggling? You don't know. You don't know honestly. I wouldn't tell anybody this, but I don't know if God is even listening to my prayers. And that person's talking about how God answered their prayers and miracles and fantastic. I would never take that away from you. But I'm wrestling with whether or not he hears my prayer for my kid or my loved one or my dad or whatnot you can do that also with your future, um, where you wrestle with it. Now, there's more that gets said following verse 6, verse 7, verse 8. It's in the family of verses uh, 3 through 5, but I want you to pick up on verse 9. Look at what it says in verse 9. It says, their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. They're simply, you have a group of people who are postulating that God is for us. And it appears like you have the evidence that's true on that. You know, where it's like, is God really on their side? When you're struggling, when you know the Lord, but you're struggling, you can find yourself wondering, Lord, how do I get you to answer my prayer? I'm going to fast. I think fasting will do it. I'm going to worship. I think worship will do it. I'm going to go to the prayer night. I think the prayer night will do it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I think I'll get God on my side. But then when you can't, you have this kind of, this dilemma that this guy is in. Um, Of thinking, is God really on their side and not on my side? And then in verse 13, if we can just be honest... If we can just be honest, this gets incredibly transparent uh, for this guy. It says in verse 13 Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Now pause there. Just kind of contemplate it for a second. Have you ever wondered, did I do this in vain? Have you ever gone to counseling and the counseling isn't working and you think, we do that in vain? If you have older kids and you took them out of public school to to teach them yourself or put them in a Christian academy and then they get off track and, and you think, did we do that in vain? Um... You do some things. You gave to stuff. And you wonder, did I do that in vain? This is richly transparent of this guy. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. See, you can find yourself when you're walking with the Lord. You know he's all good. You know that, but you wrestle with something. And if you don't understand why you're going through it, then you'll confuse it. You'll misdefine it. And, uh, that's where this guy is. He's wrestling with things. I I remember early on in, um, in our marriage and ministry, um, my wife and I, uh, I have a buddy in, in Dallas. And as Pastor Ricky said, we, we say Dallas, even though there's, you know, set towns just like this is Odessa, but you would tell everybody I'm in Tampa. Um, I have a buddy that lives in Dallas and, uh, he was doing really well, young age and, uh, building a house. And for whatever reason, it caused all kinds of envy for me. Um, When you're in youth ministry, because that's how I got connected to Pastor Ricky, was in youth ministry. When you're in youth ministry, you don't make hardly any money at all. And you can have the desires to still provide a good relationship or good home life or all those kind of things for your spouse. And I I remember being in his house. He had built this really nice house that was over 4,000 square feet. And, uh, you know, I was just drooling with envy and he's my buddy, but I was envious because I'm thinking, I was thinking, I'll never be able to do this. I'll never be able to provide. And I'm celebrating him, but I'm also internally, and he would have never known internally, I'm questioning things. And uh, you can be in some scenarios sometimes that you're happy for how everybody else is doing and how happy everybody else is prevailing and wonder, you know, Lord, when for me? When does it happen for me? And will it happen for me? That's where this guy is. And uh, as I said, he's going to know the Lord and he's going to struggle, but here's where it's really important. He is going to prevail And um, we're going to see this prevailing in what turns it. In verse 16, it says, When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till, until, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Now pause there. There's something really important there. Until I got into his presence... And when I got into his presence, clarity started to come. When I wasn't in his presence, there was this lack of clarity that I had. And it caused me to question things. And if you think that you're unique when you start to question, I don't mean to burst the bubble, but you're not unique. You can go through the New Testament and find numerous people that question things. John the Baptist is the first to identify. There he is. He's the Messiah. He's the one to follow. And then when he's in prison and he's not in his normal environment, he sends message to Jesus. Are you the one or should we be looking for another? The Peter, Peter is the one who says in John chapter 6, you are the one who has the words to eternal life. In Matthew 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we see after the crucifixion, Peter's like, I don't know what to do. I'm gonna go fishing. There's this tendency to think we're unique, but we're not unique, and the answer to it is to get into his presence. And the writer of Psalm 73 says, I didn't understand how I got into his presence. But when I got into his presence, there was a clarity that started to return for me. There was an understanding. There was something that he formed in me, something that he did that was, I couldn't get outside of his presence. And he says this very interesting thing, about till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. If I could tell you this, if you could understand and hear one thing, not just with your ears, but in your soul, and I don't know who it is in this building or maybe watching online, you need to hear this not with your ears, but you need to hear it down in your soul. Jesus wants to help you, but he will not help you minus meeting with you. The help does not come void of the meeting with him. So he will draw us into these places and these times that we meet with him. It will drive me nuts outside of his presence. But when I get with him, he so desperately wants to help. He wants to help his sons. He wants to help his daughters in whatever it is that you're carrying. But he will not eliminate the help from the meeting with him. And so he brings this person in Psalm 73 into the sanctuary of God. And that's where he starts to get clarity about things. Now, in the following verses, he's going to swing a bit. He's going to swing entirely to the other side about those people that he envied. He's going to get incredibly disparaging about them, say some really harsh things about them. Um, but then he also gets er- honest, continues to be honest about himself. And you look at verse 21. He says when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered I was senseless and ignorant I was a brute beast before you. Now pause for a moment look at that. And you're like I know some people just like that. Um honestly and no no show of hands by any means but just personal honesty about our own selves. Are there any times that you look back at your responses to your family members or spouse, to your parents, to your kids, to uh, a boss? Do you ever look back at stuff and you're like, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have behaved that way. What happens when we're outside of his presence is we can respond in ways that are not honoring or consistent with what we believe. And this guy is incredibly honest about, I was outside of his presence. And when I was, man, I was a jerk. I said things, I did things, I even prayed as a jerk. I said things about God, I accused God, I questioned God. I was, I was without bounds. I was this, as it says here, I was a brute beast before you. Now, one of the amazing things you're going to see in this and why this is so important is that God does not get rid of you because of that. He does not create distance. Now, if you go to work tomorrow, and I do not advise this, but if you go to work tomorrow and you say things that are condescending of people, you will watch people distance from you, and it may be a permanent distancing. If we go home and we say harsh things to our loved ones, there will be a distancing, and sometimes that can be a permanent distancing. The Lord does not create distance from you when you are senseless. That you will see in here. He is loving towards you. And he continues on and he says this in verse 23. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into your glory. And he's evaluating. He's just being very honest in evaluating. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire beside you. And then verse 26, is a real interesting line that shows up in worship songs quite often. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. As you see that up on the screen, don't take it away just yet, you'll, you'll see that he's always with you. Once again, you you could be watching today or you could be here. And I want you to, to understand that. Once again, not with your ears, but down in the depth of your soul. He's still with you. And if you try and take the evidence of his proximity to you by the circumstance, you'll get really confused. You'll misdefine things. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you. And he will hold you, and he will guide you. And then you see that part where it says uh, in verse 24, at the end of verse 24, where it says, afterward you will take me into your glory. Uh, The word that's used there for take me, uh, I often will get into Greek and Hebrew words sometimes in normal messages, but it's lekek. And lekek is this term that meant to, to acquire. It, it was often used of to marry. Uh, this isn't just, uh, you know, uh, I'll take that one and, and I'll take that one. Um, you go to a restaurant, I'll, I'll take a, a piece of pizza. I'll take... Now this was a term that had intimacy to it. He says, I will be intimately connected to you. What's true of me, you know the Lord and He is good. You might struggle, but you will prevail. Why? Because of circumstances, no, but because of who He is and that He's with you. Now He'll draw you into the place of meeting with Him regularly so that you know that He's with you and that He holds you and He guides you and He is intimately with you. And then it goes to this one verse that, for me, is the reason of this entire talk. He is going to start to land here, and he says this in verse 28. But as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. And you see that part where it says it is good to be near God. I said at the beginning that, that this is something that the Lord is really massaging and challenging within me. It's good to be near God. It's good to be near God uh, in your family life. There are going to be things in the family life that make sense, and there are going to be fam- things in the family life that make no sense. Sometimes you'll get married younger than you wanted, and somebody else will have a hard time finding a spouse. Sometimes you'll end up with more kids than you wanted, and sometimes someone may be barren. Sometimes we go through a lot of rocky things, and one relationship is good, and our in-laws are struggling. Sometimes the finances will make sense, and sometimes they won't. The career is on path, and then sometimes it's not. But it's good to be near God. Sometimes in faith, you'll open up the word and it'll just be like the Lord is just, you know, fire hosing you with revelation. And then there'll be other times that you open the word and you're like, I don't even know where to read. There are going to be times that you pray and there's going to be understanding. There's going to be other times that you pray and it's just like a silence. But it's good to be near God. This guy says, amidst all that he carried and all that he faced and all that he walked through, It's good to be near God. I would encourage you, brave church, it's good to be near God. In all your gatherings, whether you gather here or you gather in a prayer circle, whether you gather in groups, whether you've been gathering for the five years you've been here from the beginning or whether you've been here one week, it's good to be near God. This past year, my wife and I have had the great privilege of celebrating 20 years with the church, 25 years of marriage. We've got four kids, as I said, uh, 21, 19, 19, and 17. The 21-year-old was about this small when we started the church, first one in the nursery. And I've had highs and I've had lows. I've had things that I've understood and I've had things that I've not understood. And I look back at our journey over the last 20 years and I'm the Psalm 73 guy who could say that God is good and there were also windows of time that I didn't feel it. And I would be senseless at times when I wasn't in His presence. And I could say things and do things to the staff or to my wife or to people around where it's like, you're a brute beast. And what is that? I'm just outside of his presence. But when you get in his presence, he says, I'm with you. But I will never allow the circumstances to be the nature of your peace. So I bring you to meet with me. So I've learned, I'm learning. It's good to be near God. And whatever it is that you're facing today, I want you to know it's good to be near God. Do you have a situation that you don't know how to make sense of it? It's still good to be near God. Is there something that I cannot seem to control? I have a teenager that's out of my control. I have a wayward parent. I have a wayward brother. I have something that's breaking my heart. It's good to be near God. We got a diagnosis recently. It's good to be near God. We have way too little money. It's good to be near God. I open the Bible and nothing's coming out. It's good to be near God. So brave it's all good. Because he's good. And it's good to be near him. Now I mentioned a a second ago that sometimes your life can feel off script. I said that about the Psalm 73 guy. I said it just in a statement and they kept moving. But I said it intentionally because for him, his life felt off script. And maybe you can identify with feeling off script. And y'all know what the phrase off script means. Like in a play or in a show, there's a script. Actors are supposed to follow it. But sometimes somebody goes rogue and they go off script. And sometimes you can feel like your life went off script. This is not what I planned. This is not what I thought. I don't even think this is what God planned. So this is off script. And the question that we have is why? When you are off script, you will. If you can fog a mirror, if you are living, the question that will come to you more times than not will be why. Here's the nature of it. When we're wrestling, we want... Hear me on this. When we're wrestling, we want a reason. Um, so... The beginning of this year, the beginning of 2021, by mid-February, by mid-February, I had already done seven funerals for the year. And when you're in that nature, you have family members that are asking why. Um... people who have challenging relationships at home. I'm asking why. And when you ask a why, you want a reason. And here's one of the realities that if you can get this down in your soul, I pray that you wrestle with it all week. I think it'll help you. I think it'll help you. When your life feels off script, you need to know that Jesus almost never will give you reasons. He'll give you conclusions. He'll almost never give you a reason. He'll give you a conclusion. And those conclusions in Scripture operate primarily around two things. And this is the only fill in the blank for your notes. His glory and our transformation. More times than not, throughout those whys, why did we lose there? Why are we struggling? Why is it not coming? God, I'm acting like a brute beast, but I'm frustrated. He will not give you reasons. And no matter how much you ask why, he won't give you reasons, he'll give you conclusions. This will operate around his glory or your transformation, and sometimes both. And I'll give you a passage, the scriptures are not limited to this, but I'll give you a passage. And this comes out of uh, John chapter 9, and it says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. The disciples say, Why? Give us the reason. Jesus says, I'm not going to give you the reason. I'll give you the conclusion. This will be for the glory of God. When life goes off script, when life goes off script, it'll be about His glory and your transformation. Now, I want to tell you about something that I saw recently that I thought was phenomenal. You might not think so, but I thought it was phenomenal. I was watching um, an interview with a wine distributor. And this wine distributor is just talking, and then I want to read you verbatim what he says, because he says it, and he just kept moving on, and I was like, hold the phone, rewind that. This is what he said. He made the statement, in the winemaking industry, it's common knowledge that stressed vines produce better grapes. In the winemaking industry, it's common knowledge that stressed vines produce better grapes. And I was like, no, 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 no. Rewind that. Something about it resonated for me. So I look more into the topic and the interview and it says this, the object is to stress the vine to work for water. Too much water and the vine gets lazy and the grapes get too big. The beautiful, plump, juicy grapes while engaging to look at make terrible wine. When everything in life is so easy, it's beautiful to look at, but it makes terrible worship. When everything is so easy, it's beautiful to look at, but it makes terrible obedience. It made me think about a couple of passages that I'll just simply read to you. John 15 says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Another one that come to mind was Romans 5. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. It produces something perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And then there's one in James that sounds very similar. James 1 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so if you find yourself in that place that your life, my life has gone off script right now, you can identify with the Psalm 73 guy. Why, Lord? He won't give you the answer. He won't give you a reason. What he will say is this is going to point towards my glory, your transformation. And I might have you in this context stress for water because it'll produce better wine. It'll produce better worship. It'll produce true obedience. It'll produce true surrender. It'll produce that true place of saying, Lord, I'm yours in you. I live, move, and have my being because I have nothing else to default to. And I'll start to land with this. What does he give you in the process? He gives you peace. He gives you peace. Peace. Now, there's a real important verse that I want to read to you, and I'm going to highlight something that I think is going to be powerful for you. It's important to me. We're reading in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, life had gone off script for the disciples. Their Messiah had died and they didn't understand a number of things. They could identify with this Psalm 73 guy of saying, I know God is good, but I don't feel it, and I don't see it, and I'm struggling right now. And Jesus is going to meet with the disciples, and then watch what it says here. In John chapter 20, verse 19, It says on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And I'm going to ask if we can just leave that image up for just kind of the remainder of the time, if you will. Peace be with you. Jesus comes in. And he says, uh, Peace be with you. To a group of guys that everything's off script right now. Now, you see down in the bottom in yellow, and I've given you how to say that Irene humin. Peace be with you. You would just find two Greek words Irene humin. Now, let me push into something. So, if you're familiar over in the Old Testament, how you'll get the term peace, you've probably heard the term, Hebrew term, shalom. And shalom, when you have Hebrew transferring over into Greek, there's a couple of different words that are used in the Greek for peace. And the Greek perspective of peace, irene, was very different. Than the Hebrew perspective of shalom. If I could show you just with a hand visual, shalom meant wholeness. So when it says peace in the Old Testament, or he's the prince of peace, he is wholeness together, okay? Irene didn't mean so much wholeness. Irene for the Greek culture meant to be without conflict. So it would be like this. One's not competing against the other. Shalom. Irene. And so I've wrestled with this word. Peace be with you. Which is it? Which is it? Are you saying wholeness? Are you saying no conflict? When life is topsy-turvy and it's uncertain and there's lots that I don't know. Is it you're giving me peace? Like this? Are you giving me peace like this? Because they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have those writings. So what, what, what should I lean into? And there was one day I was wrestling with this verse about that whole concept. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just said, Joel, you're looking at the wrong word. And so then I started thinking about who mean? Peace be with you. Here's why that is fascinating to me. Because the announcement of the Lord over in the very beginning of Luke came from the angels. Peace on earth! And goodwill to men. This is to everybody. Peace on earth! And we can think God is good. God is good to Israel. I don't feel it peace to everybody i'm crying at night and I'm driving and nobody knows the mental dilemma I'm in when I'm behind my wheel peace on earth he's a good god I know that for a fact I'm lost he says peace be with you it gets incredibly intimate it gets incredibly personal. You might be here today or watching, and truth be told, you could fill out the test and pass it with flying colors about the goodness of God. I just question do you feel it today? Do you know He loves you? Do you know He's with you? Do you know that He's carrying you? Do you know that He is going to take you? He's with you. And He says, I want you to come to me. The nature of Tuesday night prayer nights isn't about how do we get more people in the building? How do we get more property? How do we do all these things? Can I just tell you, as one who's a little further down the road regarding church, you don't know why he's going to do certain things. You wanna know for us as Bridgeway, one of the recent unfoldings that has been very unique that I never could have known when we were in Set Up and Teardown is the Lord has put me in front of a lot of discouraged pastors. A lot of guys who lead congregations, who are thinking of quitting, who are in the Psalm 73 scenario. And uh, I never, when I was in set up teardown and talked and thought and prayed about growing, never thought about it was a rescue for other congregations at times. Never thought about the ministries that aren't even in the United States that we would support. And missionaries that would depend on some of the things that we've done. Never thought about that. Because why? Because I was a young guy. and We had four kids and they were young and we were pressured. And I was saying, Lord, why aren't we growing fast enough? And why don't we have enough of this? Because I'm acting like a brute beast. And if you just gave us what we were asking for, then I'd have peace. And he says, I'll never connect my peace to your circumstance. I won't. But I will let you know that I'm with you. And I'll get in front of you and I'll say, Irene, who mean to you? It's true for you too. I'm going to invite Pastor Ricky up. And um, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to hand the service to Pastor Ricky and let him lead as he feels appropriate. But if you will, if you'll bow your head for a moment of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you. Lord, I pray for Pastor Ricky. I pray for Andrews. I pray for this team. I pray for our bassist, and I pray for our guitarist and our drummer. I pray for our team back there, and Eric, and those folks, and I pray for spouses, and I pray for this church family that they would hear the individual whisper of the Holy Spirit. Peace be with you. Lord, may you bless your people, I pray. Lord, may you bless brave church.